audio based video or uh yeah i guess like um one of them could clap so i guess yeah, yeah. all right um camera rolling all right audio's rolling yeah, whenever um either one of you wants to do a clap so we can get a clap or snap or something visual yeah perfect Hey there, I'm Steve, and welcome to the podcast Stuff with Steve. And I'm sitting across my table in my office with the amazing Kalia Honey. Hi. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm wonderful. Good. How many cookies have you eaten today in the office? One. Just one. How many have you had? Let's not go there. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Let's not. Mary, you know if you're watching. (laughs) No, she doesn't watch. She might listen. I don't know. Just depends, but let's hope not. And uh, we got Mason behind the camera and John Green handling the uh, sound today. So we've got four people in my office here. And today, what I wanted to do last month was to talk about Martin Luther King. And we got a little behind in the schedule. And so <laughs> we'll pick this up uh, this month. And what happened was about uh, five, six years ago, there's a new book came out called The Seminarian. And it was written... Uh, in a narrow time frame with Martin Luther King's seminary years, which was 1948 to 1951 ish. And it was just delved into those three years. So it gave his class schedule, what courses he took, the grades he got, excerpts from some of his papers, Mm. who the professors were, who his fellow classmates were, uh, all, all those kinds of things. And it was fascinating to me for a couple of reasons, but one is I just think that's a profound time, right, in life, wouldn't yeah. you say, that you're in your mm-hmm. early 20s, yeah. in your... Formative years. Formative yeah. years, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what kind of impact that had uh, moving forward with uh, King and his legacy in the Civil Rights Movement. Mm-hmm. So the book was really uh, interesting to me. Also, just to compare the seminary he went to, Crozier, with the seminary I attended, Dallas Seminary, uh, and just differences between 19... 19- 50-ish and when I went to school yeah like uh 19 uh 1985 mm-hmm. so and then just the differences in school so that was appealing just to me and not everybody would appreciate that right. so I just thought Cleo I'd talk about some things that I learned from this book that I had no idea about Martin Luther King yeah cool and uh in the book, I guess, in when he was in seminary, they called him ML. ML. ML, like not that. MLK. ML. I guess he wasn't famous yet, Martin right? Martin Luther. It's just Martin Luther, mm-hmm. ML. And his father was Martin Luther King. Senior, Senior yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And he was called Daddy King. Daddy King. And his mama was called? Mama King. Mama King, yeah. <laughs> and she played the organ, and uh-huh. his dad was a self-described Bible thumper. It's right in front of me. I love that. Bible thumper. <laughs> and... Uh, at the historic, I guess you'd call it now, Ebenezer Baptist Church, which I've driven by, wow. never gone inside it, uh, in Atlanta. Cool. And that's where Martin Luther King's dad was. And his dad, incidentally, was a grew up not being able to read or write. Uh, hmm. And maybe that wasn't that uncommon for people that age. My grandfather only went to the eighth grade. Wow. So, um, so I'm not exactly surprised by that, yeah. but he obviously learned to read and write, and then he went to Morehouse State, Morehouse University then, mm-hmm. and got a bachelor's degree in theology. That was Daddy mm-hmm. King. Cool. And so he placed a big emphasis on education, and I think people who grew up in that time frame really wanted their kids to go to, 
to go to school. Yeah, get educated. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. did did your family really? Oh man, people get. Oh yeah. Yeah, my family beat it over my head to get educated. <laughs> they, yeah. yeah. Maybe they just wanted you out of the house. You gotta. Yeah. Get gotta leave. Gotta leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so anyway, King, uh, his father, uh, um, was uh, this historic preacher at at the. Um, at the uh, historic Ebenezer Baptist Church. And I thought I'd read a few excerpts just from King. Uh, one thing is, he says, I revolted against emotionalism of Negro religion, the shouting and the stomping. I didn't understand it, and it embarrassed me. Mm. So I think that's a reference to his father's, you know, Southern Baptist Bible-thumping gusto gusto yeah. uh, with him as well. Mm-hmm. And... Um, King King went to Morehouse State, but during the summertime he would uh, take a train and go to Connecticut. Okay. To a tobacco farm, which I'm surprised they had tobacco farms in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and there he would work during the summers because he admired a certain Bible preacher who also worked in Connecticut at the very same tobacco farm. Okay. So that was yeah. You know. Um, and it was one of the colleagues of his father. And he goes, I like that guy. And he went to work at that place. I'm going to go work. <laughs> and it was, uh, they ha- I have a ske- class schedule or work schedule right in front of me. He's up at six. Okay. Breakfast at seven. Okay. Work at eight. Mm-hmm. Lunch at noon. One for one hour. Okay. Work to five. Wow. So he worked eight to five. Yeah. And it was in the north. So King grew up in a, in the Georgia, mm-hmm. and then he goes to the to Connecticut in the north, which would have been integrated. Right, and he's shocked by that. So he's traveling by train, and he and he switches train trains in Washington D.C. and he goes. All of a sudden, everything changed. Mm-hmm. It's just really different. Yeah, he was he couldn't. He was just overwhelmed with the size of cities, mm-hmm. and uh, he was overwhelmed that during breaks on the tobacco farm white people would come and talk to him yeah and so that was he says uh i see several quotes here from him that well here's what he says they were workers just like we were and we could talk to them briefly during lunchtime and not get taken to jail for it can you i just i cannot i cannot imagine Mm -hmm. that and so that was just part of the king's um you know that was part of his world right part of his world and eventually uh shortly before he goes to crozier seminary there's a kind of a, a disagreement at a railway station where he worked so he worked on the railroad a little bit okay and uh, he got in uh, kind of an argument so he fires off a well-written letter to the atlanta constitutional journal and they print it Wow, and so it's obvious he's mad in yeah. the in the letter, but he kind of takes the community to task for segregation, and so once again we see these early pinnings of King's social justice um, starting to formulate yeah. early early in his life as well. So King ends up going from Alabama or uh, from um, Georgia Mm -hmm. to Pennsylvania and that's where Crozier Seminary is okay and his parents didn't want him to go Mm. Mm. and why didn't they want him to go to Crozier because they wanted him to stay home and be close to them and they 
did not want him mingling with people in the north. Right. Yeah, so there's mm-hmm. this divide a little bit between uh, uh, the north and the south uh, among all races, and there was a tension there. Yeah. And so, and I'm sure as parents, went, oh, we don't want our we don't want our kid going so far away. I'm yeah. sure that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And um, he uh, ends up at Crozier Seminary because it was considered some sort of a scholar school. Okay. And not much on practical. And I think that's another reason his father really didn't want him to go mm. to go to the school. And uh, so here's a quote from King. Uh, I didn't so much want to be a preacher because, well, it says of his deep faith, third person here, abiding faith in God. Instead, he saw ministry as the best way to combat segregation and inspire change. And in order to do that, he chose to apply to a seminary in the north where that degree would be more influential than a degree from the southern states. Right. So I just chalk that up to wisdom yeah, or to being... Um, I'm trying to say i think king was um incredibly pragmatic and was just uh shrewd maybe right. that's where i mean yeah. shrewd in a good way mm-hmm. is what i would say and so he ends up at crozier so he goes to the uh ends up at crozier and there were 40 kids in his class 16 were black and i don't remember how many were women didn't I don't remember that part mm-hmm. and so they end up in the dorm room which the dorm room was used as a hospital during the Civil War Wow! so his room was inhabited by a Confederate soldier who was actually under prison guard in that mm-hmm. room and there was still a hole in the door where they put the food to the to the prisoner yeah and so all of the dorm rooms had etchings or carvings of soldiers names in them Wow! so that's where he uh, went to school so it's kind of a historic place yeah. there. And uh, King started his first semester, and I'll just read to you some of his um, some of his uh, classes. How's that? Yeah. So, oh, no, no, no. I want to back up. I'm going to read you the story I was telling you about. So uh, there were students from China, Panama, New York, Georgia, but many of the students, because this is 1948, World War II, uh, veterans. Okay. So I think of that, and I think people who may still have some PTS scars and those kinds of things. And uh, uh, there was a one of the uh, Lucius Hall mm-hmm. was a 25 year old former soldier from South Carolina, and he was a white person who still had some grudges against blacks. And what happened was in the dorm room, they would do these practical jokes. Mm-hmm. So they put water, buckets of water above the doorway, just cracked it. And so when you open the door, the water would fall on you. Uh-huh. Okay. I have to confess, I've tried that prank. It doesn't work very well. So then <laughs> they were doing that all through the dorm room. Then they would take people's furniture. So one time King's bed was missing and he had to go to the basement because his friends put it it's just yeah kind of good natured yeah. practical mm-hmm. jokes and then king and some other students took this lucius allen's um furniture outside on the front lawn and set everything up exactly how it was in the dorm <laughs> okay i think that's classic i'm just uh, i love that yeah and here's what happened so i want to read to you out of this uh, research book about what happened after that as well. 
Um, when the wounded war vet, this guy was a wounded war vet from the Battle of Bulge. Um, uh, he became infuriated, raged in anger, grabbed his pistol, and headed to room 52, which was Martin Luther King, ML's room. Mm-hmm. ML had been watching Lucis's reaction from the window because he can look down and see the furniture. And when he saw how angry Lucius Hall had become, he picked up a book and pretended to be reading. <laughs> when... <laughs> When Lucius entered his room, ML gave him a quick glance and then went back to staring at his book. The others reporting what happened, Lucius said, Martin, I'm going to kill you. Lucius said he pointed his gun gun at ML, but ML remained silent, attached to his book like one would be to his shield. Mm -hmm. The confrontation attracted the attention of another student, Marcus Wood, uh, one of the few older students in the classroom who had been a pastor. And he said, Lucius, don't do that. It's all fun. You don't even know. Uh, you didn't even know Mike did it, another student. Mm-hmm. Uh, by now, students had gathered in the dorm room. It took another hour of strenuous argument. This is how long to defuse the situation before he agreed to put his gun away. Once he finally calmed down, Lucius Allen, he went back to his room. The poise ML showed during the hour under threat and the ability not to panic or to fan the flame of Lucius's anger was enough to earn admiration from the rest of the students. Hmm. Wow. So I read that story, Kalia, and I think that uh, King... Uh, through these early years, learned how to handle that kind of situation. Right. So later on in his life, he stabbed in New York City while on a book signing tour. Yeah. Uh, his house is bombed and burned, blew up. Yeah. Um, he, you know, all those other things. Mm-hmm. But yet he, he didn't lash back didn't out in violence, yet. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do people get that way? Yeah. I, I mean, I just. Be better for a world. Yeah, and so I just read that part in this book, and I went, "That is, that 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 is just just amazing mm-hmm. as well." So here's uh, one of his class schedules. Um, let's thumb through it here. Okay, first year, Tuesday, eight a.m. Introduction to the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and then chapel service mm-hmm. every day. So they had class every day, uh, three days a week. Okay. And then they didn't have courses on Monday because a lot of the students worked at churches. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you might have to travel a ways to be there on Sunday. So they gave people Monday off. And then he had an orientation, Old Testament chapel, orientation, lunch. Mm -hmm. And then he had a public speaking class. Mm -hmm. And then he had a a preaching class. Wow. So that's what he had. Yeah. And uh, in the Old Testament, testament introduction he got a b minus <laughs> i love this guy and then uh, <laughs> the orientation he got a c okay <laughs> love me more and then in the preaching ministry he got a b plus okay he got a b plus mm-hmm. one of the mo- foremost orators in american history got a b plus in public and, speaking and then he had a separate public speaking segment of that class which was pass fail he passed mm-hmm. and then frequently he had choir okay he had choir mm-hmm. and so i never thought of ml as, as singing a, as singing right mm-hmm. but it seems like 
that was a definite part of the curriculum was uh, was music. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his Old Testament introduction class, the professor was more what we'd call theologically liberal, so they questioned the veracity of that was Moses a real person mm-hmm. and some of those things. So we would say in our in my flavor of the world that hey Moses was a real person. Right. Uh, but at Crozier, you know, it was a little bit more philosophical in that regard as mm-hmm. well. Uh, in fact, here's a quote from his professor. He thought it was his responsibility to knock the fundamentalist ideas out of his students' heads forever. Wow. So they were pretty adamant about their flavor of things yeah. or correcting their view that Moses was just a legendary character and it was just an overinflated story of Exodus. Right. And so I think that was influential in King's life as well, but it doesn't really show up those things in his uh, civil rights or his um, pushing back yeah. on segregation mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, and then he has a girlfriend in seminary. Did you know that? No. Yeah, her name is Betty. Okay. And he fell wildly in love with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, uh that didn't work out. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, like, when did Loretta become a part of the picture? After that. Okay. After that. So, so King, um, uh, during seminary years, he would also preach at, at churches in the uh, Pennsylvania area, close to the school. Okay. And and in the book, they said, "Oh, we got a young seminarian today. Oh, it's going to be bad." Mm. You know, the congregation would think that. Yeah. But. Uh, King's oratory abilities just kept getting better and better and better. And part of that is I, in my mind, simply because he got the opportunity to practice a lot. And so King begins to continue to to, uh, preach and eventually graduate from Crozier uh, Seminary. And he seemed to have pretty good marks Mm -hmm. in, in college he was not a straight a student uh whatsoever and then king after he graduates becomes well in the summertime sometimes he'd be an associate pastor at ebenezer okay back with his father but then he took on a pastoral role in montgomery alabama okay did you know that mm-hmm. yeah that's where and he became um <clears throat> part of the montgomery improvement association cool and in that, he became president, and that's where, at least it appears and feels like to me, a lot of the civil rights movement began to blossom because at the time Rosa Parks and other things happened, and King took that message and began yeah. to drive it home mm-hmm. with his with his preaching and with his um, steadfast commitment to nonviolence. Yeah. So during his senior year of seminary, one of the professors lived on campus, and they had an open-door policy, so Martin frequently went over there, as I read the book, that he would frequently stop by at dinner time mm-hmm. and eat with the family. And he would have two- to three-hour-long discussions with the professor who would goad him beyond belief that the only way to overthrow to stop segregation was violence. Mm. 
And King would say, no, we can be like Gandhi was in India. He would say, no, America yeah. is not India. Mm-hmm. And the professor is just taking the devil's advocate view to sharpen yeah. Martin. But what would happen would be students would gather around and listen wow. to these, these to these kind of discussions, yeah. debates in the professor's home. Mm. And so after they ate meatloaf, <laughs> so I'm reading the they would uh, go and do the, uh, they would talk about everything. Wow. And that was a real sharpening point in uh, ML's life mm-hmm. as well. So he ends up in Montgomery and then eventually back to Ebenezer um, School as well. And so, um, you know, that's, those are some of the things that I uh, gathered from, from this book called The Seminarian, and I would recommend it to anyone yeah, wants to, mm-hmm. to know more about about King. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your thoughts about some of the things I said? Or um, I think it's awesome to hear a little bit of MLK as a youngster. I think it humanizes him a little more. It's easy to see people at their their peak in life and mm-hmm. not to know much about who they were as kids and so it makes him or not kids but young people mm-hmm. and it makes him a little more relatable definitely i wish history told more people's lives in general so it's cool mm-hmm. yeah yeah i forgot i wanted to read you this quote mm-hmm. <clears throat> i think it's a famous king quote but i'm not sure the average white southerner is not bad he goes to church every Sunday. He worships the same God we worship. He will send thousands of dollars to Africa and China for missionary effort. Yet at the same time, he will spend thousands of dollars in an attempt to keep the Negro segregated and discriminated. Mm. I think that's a powerful statement. That is powerful. Yeah. And so I marked it right away when I read this book five years ago because uh, that's the epitome of the problem at the time and hypocrisy. Yeah. Exactly 100%. right. Yeah. So um, – I, as I read the book and read these quotes about him and his and his um, just where he was at in school and stuff, I just thought this was a fascinating read. Yeah. And I know I'm going backwards, but here's his class schedule, his second year, history and literature, the New Testament, um, optional chapel. <laughs> How about that? I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then a preparation of the sermon and public speaking and then Vespers, mm. which would be choir. Okay. And then he took one class on Friday from two to three called the Great Theologians. Mm. And uh, his grades got a little bit better. I can see them here. He got an A with Great Theologians, an A with preparation of sermons. And during the preparation of the sermons class, he had a definite structure to his messaging mm. that he followed from taking that coursework. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting as well. That's cool. Okay. Well, that's our uh, MLK podcast about uh, a month late. Yeah. <laughs> Happy February. <laughs> Happy February and uh, grace and peace be with you today. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the podcast. <laughs>